Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Tukey's Take Podcast. I am joined here this time out by Sin and only Sin. Endo is a, a busy, busy boy on this Monday, so you'll be hanging out with the two of us here for the next however long, because Sin... In the NHL, the news doesn't stop, and we have a lot to talk about just from the weekend. But how you doing? How you feeling? And are you ready to talk some some hockey? We do have to talk about some other yeah. not-so-fun stuff to talk about, but we'll get into some actual hockey on this episode, yeah, which like, will be nice. A lot of good, bad, and ugly. Good can be perspective on which team you are a part of. Some extensions, some movement from AHL to NHL. Um, speaking of AHL, an AHL Sharks team beat an NHL Winnipeg Jets team, which is fantastic. I'm sure we'll talk <laughs> about that a little bit. And uh, yeah, just uh, a lot of stuff happening in a very short amount of time. Absolutely. So again, as always, we will remind you right off the top, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Of course, make sure to use code Tukey at checkout for 20% off your order. Free worldwide shipping, of course. Manscaped, the place to be for any and all of your grooming needs. Is it the top of your head that you're worried about? The nose, the ears, the beard, it's something a bit further south. They got everything that you need. So again, make sure to check out manscaped.com. With that, we are going to jump right over the viewer questions idea. We'll hopefully get back to that this Thursday because there is a lot to talk about and we want to make sure that we give everything its proper amount of time. And we'll start things off with uh, a couple of, a couple of warm-up kind of topics before getting into some of that more serious stuff and then talking about the games that happened this weekend. So Sin, let's kick things off and talking about one of the more surprising stories of the weekend, and that is that the Toronto Maple Leafs have indeed re-signed Morgan Riley, because as it turns out, you know, as much as I sit here and say, oh, this isn't going to happen, and then it immediately happens, someone like Steve Dangle also has that power to say, Morgan Riley is definitely the one piece that gets traded if the Leafs make a trade, and LOL, no. That's not going to happen. He has a brand new extension that starts next year when he turns 28 years old. It'll be an eight-year deal, $7.5 million per, with a full no-movement clause for the eight years. And for the bit of levity, uh, at PHT Evans uh, said this on Twitter, quote, By taking a discount to stay in Toronto, Morgan Riley has shown he doesn't care about money or winning. It's a rare combination in an athlete. <laughs> And I respect it. That was my favorite tweet of the week, by the way. I oh, laughed God, a good that amount was at that. Absolutely incredible. I I am also shocked because the consensus did seem to be that Morgan Riley was likely on the way out. But you're talking about, I believe, the longest tenured member of that team sure. at this stage. And in terms of being a number one defenseman, is he actually a number one defenseman. He gets used like one, and I think that's where the argument kind of kicks in, because the the not-so-elephant in the room, as everyone kind of knows, Morgan Riley, as an offensive, play-driving number one defenseman, he fits the bill. It's the defensive side of things with his game that you really worry about. But I feel like paying him $7.5 kind of takes that pressure off yeah. a little bit. I mean, it, I guess it depends on who you are, right? Like, the idea of, oh... 
Our number one defenseman has to be this incredible play driver on both sides of the ice. Essentially, what people view Victor Hedman as, even if like his defensive metrics have kind of dropped a little bit. How would you feel uh, as a Leafs fan? Granted, you are a, a fan of a team that is known for signing some interesting contracts for uh, those who are viewed as top-tier defensemen. How do you feel about the Morgan Riley extension? Um... It's not bad. The price tag's fair. At least he's 28 when he's starting and not 30. Um, <laughs> so that they got that going for him. But I feel like it is going to turn into, by about year five or four, um, it's going to turn into something that they're – it's not going to be great. Uh, if you look at Morgan Riley's trajectory, especially on the analytics side of things, he's already in a downtrend, which at age 28 is not what you want to see. Again, maybe hard to kind of – see if it's a reflection on him or some of his teammates and stuff like that. But I generally trust a lot of the analytics community in this kind of stuff when rating him. But then again, seven and a half million is not too bad when you're using someone as that number one. That being said, again, I just, I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted on it because it's not a bad deal, but it's also, that's like, that was like your one big chip Mm -hmm. to like maybe move. And try to free up some space. You, you have, yeah. They have like so, no money to sign a bottom six. So at this point, you have Austin Matthews signed for two more years after this one at $11.6 million. John Tavares has three years at the end of this one with a no-movement clause factored in. He's making $11 million a season against the cap. And then Marner also has three years left at the end of this deal. Um, or at the end of this year, worth $10.9 million. And then William Nylander still has two years left after this at a bit, basically $7 million. In terms of the bargaining pieces, the trade pieces that you have to shake things up, I mean, it's not impossible to move a William Nylander who has two years left at the end of this deal. It's certainly the most movable deal, but He's also their it's best still... player right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem, right? It continues that trend, and I don't think it helps uh, the the kind of the the general feeling around the team that you see from a lot of people in that, well, if this does go poorly, what changes? You re-sign Sheldon Keefe, but he probably has to be the first one to go, but maybe we can trade Morgan Riley. No, he just re-signed. Well, maybe William Nylander. Shit, he's our best player so far this year. Like, the team is essentially fully backed into the corner of this has to work. Yeah. Uh, And whether or not it does is still, I mean, the jury's still out. Honestly, this is, I kind of, to kind of make a a, a kind of a parallel between this and, uh, and, um, like, and a video game. This is like, this is like me when I draft a goddamn elite ass team that keeps getting knocked out in the first round, but I keep signing everyone to these deals because I'm like, it has to work. I'm getting fucking cheesed, man. The simulation is bullshit. But, you know, again, maybe at some point, you know, something isn't quite working. The overalls don't matter. The chemistry doesn't matter. What's what's going wrong? So I kind of feel like the Leafs are sort of doing that where they're like, we, you know, we can and we will. Oh, we have all these keys. Oh, maybe Morgan Riley is the guy to go. No, they just re-signed him. Well, we can always trade Nylander. Oh, shit. Actually, this year he's the best player for us and he's on a really team-friendly deal, which we kind of need. Yeah, it's they've kind of sort of pigeonholed themselves into this core which was good a couple years ago, but now with the playoff failings, everyone's questioning it, and the fans, as they do, are sort of beginning to turn on things. So, um, but may, I, honestly, some maybe some of it's good. I feel like sometimes the fans and the media run the Toronto franchise a little too much. Um, 
But who knows? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out for the Leafs, but I guess we'll see because this is their team. Now we'll talk about another Canadian team here really quickly, too, and I think this might have been the thing you were looking forward to the most yeah, in this bit. particular show. The word came down today after some rumors over the weekend. Cole Caulfield has been sent down uh, to the Laval Rockets after 10 games with the Habs to kick off this season where he has just one assist. The argument, chicken or egg, is it he's struggling or is it the bad team that he's playing on? Is it both? Who's to say? But uh, you know, I don't really see too many people disagreeing with the idea of him being sent down to the AHL, with the exception of those who were, oh, oh, so uh, convinced that he was going to win the Calder this season. I, I mean, I was in that boat. I, I never expected this to be um, as slow of a start as it happened to be for Cole Caulfield. So, and for the Habs uh, in that, you know, in that conversation as well, in terms of just how bad of a start to the season it's been for them. So, Sin, your take. On Cole Caulfield being sent down, because I know you've been waiting. Yeah, a little bit vindicated. <laughs> Take that, YouTube comment section. Yeah, no, baby. <laughs> okay, got a lot of heat, of course. Uh, for for my opinion, that he's I don't I don't think he's guaranteed elite player. I don't think he's a guaranteed forty goal scorer. He's got a lot to prove. I'm sorry. Size still does play some factor, especially when it comes to goal scores. If you look at some of the guys who uh, like get some thirty goals, sometimes you gotta. You got to get into those dirty areas. It's hard with a 5-7 frame to go up against some of the big body defensemen and get into those areas. Shots from the perimeter are all well and good. He's had a lot of those. He's hit, yeah, I think, he hit two posts in the first game where, where they played the Sharks. Like, he, he has a shot from back there, but if you're always working on the perimeter, you're not as guaranteed to get some of those goals. And sometimes it can be hard to find time and space in the middle of the ice. That's where the size does come in. Do I think he's good enough to kind of find ways to score around that? Yes. Um, but he hasn't proven it, proven it yet on the NHL level enough. Now, the play he had a great playoff run. Then again, all the Habs had a great playoff run. They sort of caught lightning in the bottle right here. So, yeah, I think he's a bit shaken right now. I think it's a little bit of confidence now. And I think him playing in the AHL is going to benefit him. Um, playoff games don't count, right? So, if he sits out and is in the AHL for the rest of the year, he'd still be a rookie next year. So, is the, Hab is so, the Habs yes. dream alive? All right, well, huh. Well, we'll be hearing the Calder chance next season, I'm sure, when he uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is is another true rookie. How old is he now? Is he 20 or 21? Uh, I can look that up really quickly. Yeah, I'm like, pretty I was... sure that he is 20. Yes, he turns 21 on January 2nd. Okay. So still relatively early in, in his development, but for a guy who was hailed as is going to be this elite goal scorer, um, for him not to have at least one in those 10 games, no matter what bad team he's on, is a bit troubling if you're the Habs and his development trajectory might not be as high as uh, you'd want. And if you're Vancouver, I mean, yeah. You, you know, we'll be talking about, uh, and you know, I mean, we can talk about this now. It was going to be towards the bottom half, right? But we can talk about the Calder, uh, the early Calder race uh, right now. Why not? Like you said, for him to not at least have a goal is concerning, right? Like, yeah. you look at who's up there, and there are two guys that are tied with four goals each uh, amongst rookies for the lead in that category. It's Tanner Janot, who's a little bit older for the Nashville Predators. I think he's 23, if I'm not mistaken. But then there's Lucas Raymond in Detroit, who not only uh, is tied for the lead in goals with four, 
but he is also leading the way amongst all rookies in points with nine. And they're the same age. And I think Lucas Raymond's a year younger, wow. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. I think Cole Caulfield is uh, is 20 years old, and that Lucas Raymond is 19. And indeed, Jeez. Raymond will turn 20 in March. Now, you know, the some people might try to say the argument of like, oh, well, Lucas Raymond played in, he played in Sweden with, with men, but it's like, well, Cole Caulfield played at the University of Wisconsin, you know, of, of Wisconsin. Yeah. I don't know why it's struggling. With, again, older people involved. Like, my God, NCAA-wise, you can sit there and play against 23, 24-year-olds. So it's not as if, you know, it, there's, there's a difference between the leagues, but in terms of like, oh, the competitive edge between the two leagues, it's not even really there either, but... You know, when, when it comes to Caulfield, it's, it's got to be frustrating, Because right? Montreal, not a very good team. The Detroit Red Wings, I mean, not a very good team either, but they're making it work this year. I mean, I don't think anybody was heading into this season saying, Montreal, uh, man, compared to Detroit, though, the way Detroit plays. Like, we wouldn't have been saying that three, three weeks ago or so. But it's like, now you look at how hard the Red Wings play. You look at the fact that... Um, Amongst rookies, they have the two leading point getters with Lucas Raymond on nine points, and Moritz Sider has eight because, of course, he does. It's ridiculous. The next highest in terms of points, by the way, uh, you have a bunch of guys tied at five. Tanner Janot has mentioned Michael Bunting, Jonathan Dolan on the Sharks, Drew O'Connor on Pittsburgh, Dawson Mercer, Zegras Lundell Byram. Like, Detroit's rookies are getting it done. That team plays really hard, and obviously, just something hasn't worked. In Montreal so far, that's really done Cole Caulfield no favors. Yeah, and I mean, for the Red Wings, it's they're finally sort of on the upward trajectory. I mean, they've been in the pits for like how long? So, you know, it's finally starting to work for them. But I mean, again, no one could have predicted Montreal being this bad, I guess. But I mean, just, you know, just just so people don't think I'm playing favorites here. At the same vein, I, I, I want Eklund, William Eklund to be sent back to Sweden because... Um, for me, if you're going to play, you know, someone like that, you know, in, in the NHL level, they're going to have to be productive, uh, night in, night out. And same with Cole Caulfield. He hasn't been, it's probably better to send him to somewhere where they're going to have that success, build the confidence, develop for, develop their game further. So, you know, I think they're both kind of similar in that regard, not, not really being the game changers that you need them to be. It really serves no purpose to play them, you know, down in the lineup. You know, give him that time to develop. You know, it's not that Cole Caulfield's a buff, bust or anything like that. Just, you know, again, don't make the mistake of uh, Toronto and try to rush some of these guys along or overhype some of these guys because that could really be bad for the development. Again, they hear all the stuff. They read all the stuff. Yeah. I do want to mention as well in terms of that rookie race, it's not just forwards and defenders to pay attention to. Uh, in goal, <laughs> there are a couple a couple of guys that are doing quite well. Spencer Knight, as you would have expected, uh, a 2 all one one record with a 929 save percentage, and that is because of uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, who we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Uh, Philip Gustafson in Ottawa has a 2-1-0 record with a 932. Again, just three games. Uh, and then shout out to uh, Vimelka. On the uh, Phoenix or the Phoenix Coyotes, the Arizona Coyotes. We were talking about uh, the great state of Arizona before recording today. Uh, he has an 05 and one record, but he has a 920 save. That's absolutely insane. Like that's ridiculous. So, now again, that's always my argument, though, because you kind of mentioned the idea of like, okay, within you know your community, EA NHL, and stuff like that. 
For me as well, you know, people know that I'm pretty heavy into the roster editing type of things and wanting to make things, in my opinion, more realistic than what EA does. Vimalka so far is kind of that argument for, hey, bad team, player can still do well. Because Carter Hutton, as we talked about not all that long ago, is <laughs> just abysmal. Yet you have this guy with no NHL experience putting up a 920 through six, if not seven, appearances so far. So it's just one of those crazy things where, again, bad numbers doesn't necessarily just mean, oh, it's a bad team in front of them. Like, no, you can still be a, a fairly productive player. So I'm very intrigued by the rookie race, and it's even more interesting now, in my opinion, now that we've seen Cole Caulfield uh, essentially get dropped uh, out of the, you know, out of contention yep. very early on into the season. Next little talking point before we get to some of the more eh, interesting stuff, as we'll call it. Uh, Ryan Getzloff is now the franchise leader in points for the Anaheim Ducks, passing Tamu Solani. He has 989 points in a fantastic 1,111 games, straight ones at the time of recording. Sin, the Ducks retiring his number is a given. Yeah. But Ryan Getzloff, I think he's 36, if not 37. There's a Hall of Fame argument. I mean, he's a cup champion, he's a two-time Olympic gold medal winner. I'm very intrigued to see how Ryan Getzloff is remembered outside of Anaheim, where obviously in Anaheim he is one of the best players in that organization's history. I mean, yeah, he's absolutely revered, and honestly, I could say, as a as a rival fan, absolutely respected um, by, by everyone. Hall of Fame argument, I, I, I can't say for certainty first ballot. Um, even though he's got the cup and stuff like that, it's just his drop off over the last few years has been massive. It does coincide a bit with the team. He might have a bit of a, of a pick me up this season, which would be great uh, for the tail end of his career as Anaheim starts to maybe get better again. He sticks around, starts maybe doing the jumbo thing, signing one year deals over and over again with Anaheim to help him, you know, try to figure something out. Um, if he continues that trajectory, I can see him being a first ballot. But I, I think he makes Hall of Fame. I don't know if it's first ballot. I know he's got the the cup and stuff like that. It's just ever since his prime sort of started to grind to a halt, his numbers have just really fallen off a cliff. And, you know, kind of a few years before some of those Hall of Famers numbers begin to fall off that cliff. So I don't know. But I mean, again, the franchise leader in points, all those other things do kind of add up. I just... Just as an objective standpoint, you know, him being in, in that small market too, like what kind of respect does he get outside of, you know, the Pacific Division? I, I, I just don't know if the league will uh, will give that thing to him, even though he probably I does think, deserve I, it. I think it'll be an interesting um, exercise in how much leadership qualities and loyalty to a team matters when it comes to those who ultimately do vote on who makes it into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, we've had that discussion on the show plenty of times in terms of, boy, it's really it's really weird. It's like a constantly evolving uh, situation with how players seemingly make it into the Hall of Fame, who does and who doesn't. At the end of the day, though, a great accomplishment for Ryan Getzloff. We'll get into the uh, the more interesting stuff here. And by interesting, I mean we are going to be covering more of the stuff surrounding the Kyle Beach story. The press conference uh, involving Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. But we're going to kick things off here uh, with kind of the aftermath of the idea of those who were involved 
in that Chicago Blackhawks team meeting in May of 2010 and what's happened to them. During the last show, we talked about, of course, obviously Stan Bowman's gone, McIsaac's gone, the breaking news was that Joel Quinville was out, and we were left with the one question of what about Kevin Sheveldayoff, of course, the current GM of the Winnipeg Jets. And this is kind of what came up. As the Jenner and Block report, subsequent review by the league this week, and today's interview with Sheveldayoff make clear, Sheveldayoff's participation in that meeting involving senior leaders from the Blackhawks management team was extremely limited in scope and substance. In fact, in the course of the investigation, most of the participants in that meeting did not initially recall Sheveldayoff was even there. There was a follow-up tweet from Frank Saravalli who said this, uh, Bettman says the only person who identified Sheveldayoff was in the room for that meeting was Kevin Sheveldayoff himself. That is apparently how unimportant he was at the time. He is the only person interviewed that even recalled him being in that meeting. Now, you know, I, I understand it's, it is very tough, right? Because during that show, I'm like, get rid of this guy too. Like, just, just go. Yeah. Because it felt as if we had all the details. Because how could there possibly be more? <laughs> they covered so much, and it was so difficult last Thursday to cover everything that was out there. Because how the hell can you? There's so much to begin with. But we did kind of learn that, hey, it, it, it feels shady. But at the end of the day, it is kind of true that, you know, Shovel Day Off was really just kind of a passenger. And it seems like... You know, the, the Shevel Day Off defense can essentially be this. Number one, I'm apparently the only one that recalls me being in that meeting. Two, as a, a lesser member of that unit, after seeing Aldrich resign, he would have just probably presumed, oh, okay, they, they took care of it. Yeah. And was he really in a position as well to challenge those that were above him? There, There is, you know... There's enough there to maybe not completely exonerate Shevel Day off, but you know, to at least make it understandable as to why he is still with the Winnipeg Jets, even if again, like I said, it just obviously it's um, it's a result of the entire situation yeah. around you know everything about it. Anyone who was seemingly involved with it, you're just like, I don't want to see their name, their face, get rid of them. Even if we find out, you know, of course, in it, like Shovel Dayoff really wasn't all that involved in the process. Yeah, the only thing that kind of bugs me is uh, the whole thing of, you know, because he wasn't one of those senior members, uh, he felt he wasn't in a position to sort of question it further. I think for something of that magnitude, you're, you should want to push. And But, I mean, I get that just kind of goes back to the whole thing of, you know, don't rock the boat, which we already went over through great lengths. But, yeah, most of the stuff in here. Hard to kind of say that he would be directly or in, indirectly responsible, you know, um, if he believes action was taken. Yeah, kind of water under the bridge. Me personally, I'd be like, well, fucking make sure I'd want specifics. But yeah, just kind of goes back in that whole whole thing of, yeah, just don't question it any further and move on. Yeah, and I mean, I can see the debate too, right, of, oh, he got called into a meeting and was just kind of a fly on the wall. To the point where people don't even remember him being there. And then, oh, the news came out that Aldrich is gone. Cool, something must have happened. Like, I've been in situations, you know, 
at a job where I've gotten called into a meeting and it's like, why the hell am I even here? Yeah. Like, uh, like this doesn't really even pertain to me. I think most people that have been, you know, in in the workplace can kind of relate to that. And it seems like that was what happened with Chevy uh, in particular, or if that's the defense, it at least kind of checks out. Yeah. That said, we move on to the press conference today. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, we'll start off with the uh, the information pertaining to one Gary Bettman. And then we'll talk about Bill Daly. This comes from Greg Wyshynski. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman on the $2 million fine handed to the Blackhawks. Quote, People have debated the amount of the fine, but it was substantial by any measure. It sends a message to all clubs about how I view their organization responsibilities. I mean, yeah, it sends a message, just not the one he thinks is being sent. Like $2 million, yeah, is a substantial, <laughs> not by any measure. It's not a substantial amount by any measure. It's it's a substantial amount to like the ordinary person, someone who says, oh, $2 million, that's a lot. But from a percentage standpoint on the organization, and, and again, the other points that we are, had brought up in, in the last podcast, it's, it's so minuscule that it's honestly laughable. And he's continuing to try to say that, like, oh, yeah, this is – where's that Obama meme of like putting a medal on himself? And that's what I feel like Gary Bettman has been doing this entire time. Including putting himself in the Hall of Fame, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah. So the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, again, this isn't the most fair way to look at this, but hey, in simple terms. Uh, Chicago, on the Forbes 2020 list of most valuable NHL teams. Sin, do you know where they finished on that list? Oh, probably top. At least top three. Uh, they they finished fourth. Ah, so close. Ahead of them are, are the Rangers at a $1.65 okay, billion dollar valuation. The Leafs at $1.5 billion in Montreal at $1.34 billion. Yeah. The Hawks are worth over $1 billion as an organization. Yeah. Now, again, that does not mean that the money there, you know, again, it doesn't exactly translate out that way. But again, a $2 million fine, as we've all mentioned, and we'll mention here again. Here, I'll, I'll read ahead. This comes from Mike Stevens. Uh, Bettman says the NHL does not have a, a sexual misconduct policy that specifies the consequences like in other leagues because the NHL handles them on a case-by-case basis. And on top of that, Rick Westhead mentioned that uh, he pointed out to Gary Bettman that while the Hawks were fined $2 million for an abuse cover-up, Arizona lost draft picks over improperly working out a prospect, and that New Jersey was fined $3 million for salary cap violations, to which Bettman said different context and different facts. So he was not, he as in Bettman, the NHL, they were not tied to say, oh, well, $2 million is the most that we can do. In this specific situation, sin, they were allowed to really hand out whatever punishment they deemed fit. Yeah, and they deemed this fine as uh, again. What was the uh, what was the word here? Substantial by any measure, even though when you compare it to illegally or improperly hosting a prospect workouts, um, or New Jersey and the salary cap violation with Kovalchuk. I mean, the punishment is is lesser than both of those. Let's yeah, be honest. and that that's a bizarre thing to me. Uh, Again, and it's again. I feel like he thinks this sort of makes it better that oh, we handle this on a case by case basis. There's no real, you know, precedent set. That honestly makes it worse that you looked at this, you know, without any sort of, you know, 
expectation or responsibility to set a certain amount, find them a certain amount, and you decided $2 million was sufficient. That makes it worse in my mind. Like you, you're, they don't, again, they're still not getting just the weight of this weight of this issue and how, how just absolutely massive it is. Like that's, you know, and that's how some laws were violated. Not just, you didn't just hurt the league's feelings. Laws were violated. It's, that still blows me away that, ah, man, it's insane. A reminder as well, the Arizona Coyotes fired the GM responsible for the improper workouts. They pretty much fully cooperated uh, with the follow-up investigation, and they still lost that first and second round pick. Uh, The Blackhawks essentially covered up their wrongdoings for a decade. They publicly denied knowledge of this this past spring and are, of course, still denying responsibility in court, which isn't surprising. I mean, again, as as shady as it looks in the court of public opinion, of course, the Blackhawks are going to go through the legal system and do what they got to do. I don't necessarily hold that against them because what else are they going to do? And the Hawks also let the responsible parties resign so they could collect nice uh, severance packages, of course. I mean, so not only... Did really like a team like the Coyotes? Like, let's be honest. What's more detrimental to an NHL team: losing two million dollars or losing a first and second round pick when you're a non-playoff team? Yeah, losing those picks, just 100. percent The Coyotes were essentially punished more for a prospect workout than the Chicago Blackhawks were for this. Yep, it's insane. And again, the Coyotes cooperated at that yeah. time. It's just. And then you had Elliot Friedman uh, responding or uh, tweeting this out as well. Why did Quinville coach last Wednesday? Bettman essentially responded, wanted to make sure that no one, including Quinville, could say that I had prejudged them. Bettman recognizes there is a disagreement on this. Now, my argument is, are you really prejudging Quinville at that stage? I think you would have been prejudging him in July, before this report had come out. This was in the aftermath of the report. You're not pre-judging him. You would be judging him based on the findings of this report. Yep. Now, whether it's on Bettman in the NHL to say, hey, you're sitting this one out until we come to a decision, or it's on the Florida Panthers, regardless, how the hell did this happen? I, it's it's still, and again, it's not a matter of like, oh, well, the Panthers beat the Bruins and I'm salty. Like, who gives a shit? It's a hockey game. We're talking about serious shit like this. Who gives a shit? It's a hockey game. It's still such a, a black eye for the league right now still to realize that, yeah, Coach Coach Quinville got to coach his final game and then had the opportunity to resign, of course. And then, of course, the people will say like, oh, well, it's because of legal stuff. and Eventually, you gotta you gotta figure out well what's worth it the le- the legalities of the situation or the optics of the situation because Lord knows the NHL Gary Bettman and the Florida Panthers uh, all come off looking extremely extremely you know extremely poorly for how that situation played out. So yeah, uh, kind of hit the nail on the head right there. They just keep digging themselves deeper holes, and I'm almost sort of becoming numb to the entire situation just because oh, it's well, so on. overwhelming. Like. Uh, yeah, hold on. Let's see if you feel numb now or if you feel numb after this last part oh, about no, Gary yeah, Bettman. You ready part. for this, buddy? Oh, yeah. Uh, this comes from Katie Strang. 
Uh, Gary Bettman asked if he'd pledged to make counseling available to the Michigan teenager who was sexually assaulted by Aldrich in 2013. Bettman said, quote, he'd need to know more about the situation. Aldrich was, uh, of course, again, convicted of criminal sexual misconduct in that case. He needs to know more about the situation, all, Sin. All you need to know about this situation is that an employee of the Chicago Blackhawks who are in the NHL, a part of the NHL, you're essentially an extension of yourself, was allowed to sexually abuse someone within your organization who, again, didn't do enough about it, covered it up, let him walk, you know, walk away and still get a job in hockey as a fucking sexual predator and then raped a 16-year-old child. What else do you need to know? That seems pretty straightforward. More. Yeah, what you, that's, that's such a bullshit thing, man. Dude, this was the biggest layup. Yeah. Like, my God. Like I, you know, you know the God. I forget the player, but you know the the gif of the Lakers player shooting the three, and he turns yeah. around with yeah. his arms up I, like he sunk it, and it yeah. goes out. That's Gary Bettman on this. He's like, mm, I nailed it. This was the easiest layup possible. Yeah, and like literally, what does I I I, I can't put myself my, myself in his shoes, right? Because I'm not a lawyer. Gary Bettman's been a lawyer for a very very long time. The problem here is it's almost as if Gary Bettman gets too wrapped up in the lawyer speak sometimes, where instead it's like, I just don't, like, I'd love to know. Somebody let me know. What would have been lost? Would, would it be viewed as the NHL taking blame and saying that they're at fault for offering, you know, uh, counseling to this kid? Like... From the outside perspective, it's the easiest thing in the world to say, yes, we will support this guy. We will support everybody who was affected by this. It's the very least we can do. But what is it that led Gary Bettman to say, that, oh, we need to know more? Because like, What is it within the realm of legalities that would make it... You presume that he views it as, well, it would be damning if I said, we'll help. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't... I, like Again, where is the line between, well, legally we have to protect ourselves... Versus what is again just a layup in the court of public opinion? Yeah, it's essentially by yeah by saying by availing these services, you're essentially admitting some form of guilt, which they want to avoid. However, they really can't, and they should be guilty. And I, I hate that. Like it's there's there's such a a chasm between law and morality, and I feel like the the basis of laws originally was to sort of coincide in some ways with some form of morality. And there's there's just such a gaping chasm, especially with these people in power. They come off as near sociopathic the way they're just able to separate like the empathy mm. for other human beings and their well-being just for these, like you said, like these optics or these complete legal legal um, legal things. Like, you know, we can't admit guilt like, oh, it'll, you know, ruin us or whatever. And like, you know, we it's it's just yeah. It's just gross now, that that sort of like disconnect. Yes. So we still have other stuff to talk about in this yeah. uh, in this conversation. Unfortunately, we'll move on to talking specifically uh, about some of the quotes from Bill Daly, uh, who, and this comes from Katie Strang. Uh, NHL via Bill Daly said the league did not take action in December 
when given a heads up by Chicago's general counsel about a potential impending civil litigation. Why did they not take action back in the uh, previous December, of course, now 11 months ago? Uh, Said general counsel of the Chicago Blackhawks said that there was no merit to the claims. And yeah, no. No, no, it's fine. Chicago's like, hey, this is fine. Nothing's nothing's going to come of this, which, oof. And that claim to me really makes me question some of those involved who said, eh, we didn't really know until recently. So what's up with this comment from old general counsel? Uh, from Greg Wyshynski. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly says investigation into former Calgary coach Bill Peters is completed. The investigation has been completed. We've been in touch with Akeem Alou and team representatives about next steps, if there are any. (laughs) On Twitter, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name, I think it's Ben Masalis. Quote, this is news to me and not true. I am Akeem's rep and the NHL has not been in touch with us for over a year, which coincides with what Alou said on Twitter within the past couple weeks. Also, also, investigation was into broader issues of racism Akeem experienced in his entire career in the NHL and was not limited to Bill Peters. Witnesses we told them about haven't been contacted. So not only, of course, do you have the shady shit surrounding this Blackhawks deal, you also have the shady shit regarding Akeem Alou, who again a few weeks ago said, yeah, I haven't been contacted and again, they are reiterating we have not been contacted here and I think this is another issue that people have with Kevin Dayoff because not only was he, you know, present for that Kyle Beach meeting, uh, he was in charge of the Rockford Ice Hogs when that Bill peters Akeem Alou incident took place and of course uh, he didn't do anything there either so it's another issue that people really have with Kevin Dayoff. I mean, just well, I'm sure the NHL is just uh, waiting for Black History Month to do something so they can, you know, peacock themselves and say, hey, look what we do. Look, we're all about equality for this month. And then they could go back to just doing the same bullshit that they've always done and really not care. Again, yeah, it just comes down to optics and, and PR. Because it's when, when the chips are down, after all the marketing's done, after all those nice commercials go out with all the inclusion – they don't do jack shit about it. Any anything of substance, they don't do, and it's it's right here. They got, they got a guy giving out a talking point about how, what they're doing, and then you have the people involved who are saying, "No, they're not. They're not doing anything." It's just <sighs> frustrating. Gary Bettman comes off looking even worse as it continues to as the news continues to come out and as people continue to talk he looks worse bill daly looks worse the nhl looks worse the blackhawks look worse the good thing is though like there are some like there's at least one positive here right there was a couple other things that kind of had in like our other updates involving the story uh katie strang as well mentioned this uh, on twitter last night Someone came forward with critical new information on a different Chicago-area youth hockey sexual abuse case case involving a coach. Uh, The thing that tipped the scales for them, Kyle Beach's interview. Just another example of the tangible impact Beach has had on others in the hockey community and beyond. So while it can seem like just negative, 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 there are positives coming out of this. And like I said, it's... You know, in terms of this other update section, like Rick Westhead did some digging, of course, further throughout the weekend. 
and had stuff like this to add, which again, just, it just beats you down. The amount of just negative in regards to this, but of course, as we've discussed, and it's, it's great that it comes to light, uh, but he mentioned, investigators say Brad Aldrich's Blackhawks employees file uh, could not be located. HR execs tell me the 2010 industry standard was computerized records. Deleting would leave a digital trail. Blackhawks refuse to say if they're investigating whether records destroyed purposefully. Uh, West had also added, I was curious where Brad Aldrich is now. Was not expecting him to be running a business staffed with college interns. Uh, Wait, he did know. Not in jail? No, he's not in jail. He is running his own business. Uh, with college interns, the caveat being they have to at least be 19 years old. So, you know, nothing, nothing potentially damaging about that situation. Each was 20? Wasn't he? Uh-huh. <laughs> two and fucking, there's two justice systems, man. I, there's oh my God. two separate justice systems. Holy shit. I, I can't, how? This, holy And crap. then Westhead also added that, uh, Donald Fair... Uh, an NHLPA doctor failed to warn USA Hockey about Aldrich despite promises made to Kyle Beach. And, of course, the NHLPA, as of the time of recording, has had a, a boardroom uh, conference call that's been going on for over two hours now as they continue to decide what's going to happen to the likes of Donald Fair, who is essentially the head of the NHLPA. So, more to come with this stuff. Like I said, it's it's very tough to try and talk about all this because how many positive points was I really able to work in there through just this mountain of incredibly depressing and infuriating news that's come out over the weekend still where, like I said, man, I was saying over the summer that, and obviously we didn't know how bad this Kyle beach story was over the summer. Like we had some info. We didn't have this much, obviously. And then there was the, the Logan Mayu stuff and so much more where I'm like, man, they are making it really tough to be a hockey fan. I didn't watch much hockey over the weekend because it's like, man, it's so tough to think about hockey in a positive light. And then the story after story comes out and I'm just like, I just want to think about something else other than the sport for a little bit. It's incredibly tough to do when, you know, so much of my online presence is surrounded around hockey, but it, it, it takes an effort, but I think it's worth the effort to try and view this negative stuff coming out as more of a positive because hopefully, please, God, let this lead to change. Yeah, I'm actually very curious whether or not Brad Aldrich actually has to register under Megan's law as a sex offender. Um, because here's here's the argument. Legally, you can't keep 19-year-olds away from someone even if they're a sex offender because they're legally adults. I'm sure there's something legality that allows him to work with, you know, in a business staffed with college interns or whatever. I'm sure people can make the argument, oh, if they're majority female or something like that and he targeted, you know, boys, oh, maybe he'll be safer. Here's the thing about sexual assault that I think a lot of people who are weird and naysayers about it need to understand it is not about sex it's about power and it's about control over other people but mostly it's about power and it's that's essentially what this guy is how is he continuing to get in these positions of power to exert that sort of power dynamic over others to feed his fucked up desire for more power and so in, in that way i will I will say I looked it up. Like he is still listed on the Michigan sex offender registry. Good. 
So yeah, I, I would imagine he will um, he will be there for I would hope the the rest of his life. But um, yeah, no, it's just man, it's there, there's a lot to it. Um, we will make the hard right, uh, which is very difficult to do. Uh, but in terms of talking about actual hockey and stuff that happened over the weekend, we will get to that. Although, Sin, there is some breaking news that I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. uh, that's popped up on Twitter. The New York Rangers have announced a contract extension for Norris winning defenseman Adam Fox. Here we go. It is a seven-year deal worth $9.5 million, which is a steal yep. and a goddamn half if he can continue playing at the pace that he's played at. Uh, so far in his career. Uh, yeah, he's phenomenal. <laughs> I, he is absolutely phenomenal. And and he's 23 years old. God damn. He's just, <laughs> it's, so it kicks in. Yeah, I'll take him up till he's what, 31, 32 max? Uh, yeah, I think 30, 31, depending on when his birthday is. Yeah, he is, uh, Rangers are going to be good for the next little bit of time. Good for him. And... Honestly, yeah, that's that's insane. He could he could have pushed for more. Like <laughs> just coming off a Norris win, you're playing in New York where the state tax is going to be a bit higher. But he's home, and we talked about that him. on the show, right? Like yeah. it's it's where he wanted to be. Like he didn't, he wasn't going to commit to Calgary. He wasn't going to commit to Carolina. Everyone kind of knew, like, yeah, this is this is where he wants to be. He wants to be. I'm curious that uh, it's only seven Ranger. years instead of the full eight. Yeah, yeah I thought that. Um, I thought that too. I'm trying to uh, go to Cap Friendly here and look at the comparables yeah. uh, because obviously Kale McCarr is making under recently, nine, right? Just under. Recently signed his extension as well, and yeah, I think he was at nine. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, give me a second here to uh, to look this up on Cap Friendly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the bottom line is this is it's an unbelievable deal. Yeah, and this is. Again, a bona fide number one defenseman. And it might be smart him taking that seven year simply because he could probably still argue for an eight year by the time he's 30, 31. Um, simply because teams will probably give that to you. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, the there charts. are <laughs> six defensemen making $9 million as a cap hit right now. Um, and again, this this will go up because Seth Jones isn't on this list. But oh my God, Adam Fox is getting paid the same amount as Seth Jones starting next year. Lol. <laughs> oh my God! Like I was gonna for mention the same amount of time, aren't they? Yeah, because it was eight years yeah, for Jones. I think so. uh, or like no, no, no. Wait. Oh my does God! Oh, no, the nine doesn't kick in for Jones till next year, does it? Yeah. Oh. So, like, P.K. Subban is on the last year of a $9 million deal that obviously didn't age gracefully. Yeah. Kel McCarr was signed for nine, uh, $9 million. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, of course, also uh, fetching $9 million, as is Roman Yossi, who is, of course, 31. And obviously you have Carlson and Dowdy as the top two highest-paid defenders right now. But, yeah, Kel McCarr got 9 by 6 uh, that, of course, just started. Hamilton got 9 by 7 <sighs> Yeah, Adam Fox is getting paid the same amount as Seth Jones starting next year. Yeah, I don't know why I thought McCarr got the full eight. Is only six? Yeah, okay. My God. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's tremendous for New York. Um, kind of helps to offset some of the other 
interesting deals that they have signed or had signed. Again, I still don't like the Goodrow deal. I love Goodrow. It's just that's going to age so, so poorly. Yeah, so I'm trying to get a look here uh, on Cap Friendly in regards to the you know the Rangers' entire situation. Yeah. Um, obviously, too, it's not completely updated, but we you know we have Mika Zibanejad's deal kicking in next year, eight point five for eight years. Kreider is on six point five for five years after this, and we'll be talking about Chris yeah. Kreider because he's been phenomenal so far this yeah. season, and obviously Panarin's at eleven point six. Um, I I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued, but that's that's big business done. And I mean, they're paying Truba eight million a year. They're paying Fox nine and a half. It, it kind of evens out. Shesterkin's already locked up. Is oh yeah, Rangers. The Rangers, man. I mean, despite some of the interesting moves that they made uh, in the aftermath of everything that happened with Tom Wilson last year, that is a team that is set up very, very, very well. Yeah, they they really are. I mean, that's. They're in good shape. They got, you know, they got the main guys locked up. They got, you know, the sand pay. They got pretty much everything that you want to see. And now they're just going to have to sort of get it done. But, I mean, they have a goaltender who keeps pucks out. Kreider is, you know, having a bit of a resurgence, which is massive for them. You cannot have a 6.5 million anchor in your lineup. So, good for them. I hope it lasts beyond, you know, just a couple years. I I still think they're a year or two away from being a serious, serious contender. But with this lock being locked in, They're scary. They're officially scary now. So with that, uh, we'll get back on track here. Let's flash back to Friday night and some of the things that happened around the league at that point. Uh, The uh, Ottawa Senators beat the Dallas Stars 4-1. Most notable about that, shout out to Josh Norris, former Sharks prospect, of course. Uh, He scored his fourth and fifth goal of the season at that point in time. Uh, that was, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the Eric Carlson trade, yeah. was it not? Oh, that was one of the pieces. And again, God, let's hate. <laughs> it's the the optics of that, it only looks bad now, especially considering what the first turned into. Honestly, if it was like a late first, Josh Norris, we got Balser's back, by the way. Um, he was doing okay. Um, but yeah, it's it wouldn't look as bad, but it's that Stutzla trade that really makes it look bad. And then some of Eric Carlson's lackluster performance. But he's been Really, really Better. solid. Really solid yes, to start this year, but he's in COVID protocol right now. So, as is half the team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, six points in seven games for Carlson. By the way, just to torture sin, that Carlson trade, for those who forget, uh, was Eric Carlson and forward Francis Perron to San Jose for Dylan DeMello, Chris Tierney, Rudolph Balsers, who ended up back in San Jose, nope. uh, Josh Norris, a second round pick that became Jamison Reese. And a first-round pick in 2020, that became Tim Stutzla. So, Ken, it would be okay if it wasn't the goddamn Tim Stutzla. Oh, I can't. I, I'm actually. Well, I mean, why? I, I still can't believe they didn't lottery pick. They, they just like like lottery protected. They're just like there were two other conditional picks that were not uh, ultimately met. So it could have been even worse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, the Florida Panthers, uh, obviously, again, this is Friday, so we know the records change, but they moved to 8-0. They beat Detroit 3-2 in overtime on Friday night. Barkoff scored his third and fourth goals of the year. Uh, but this game was really highlighted. I'll, I'll mention, too, the Cats hit the 8-0 record to start a season for the first time in club history. But this game stands out for one highlight in particular. I don't know if you saw it, Sin. 
The wings blocked about a thousand yes. shots yes. in a 30 second span, including Adam Ernie and Robbie Fabry just laying me. it all out on the line. This is one of those moments that if it was in the playoffs, it would be played until the end of time. Uh, you know, at least amongst Red Wings uh, games yeah. and kind of hype packages. It was I mean, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, as a as a guy who loves him some goddamn good defense, that was that that's great to see. I mean, that's everyone again, you hope every, every you hope everyone's okay. Those are some brutal the hits to take in, in, in some areas. They were hobbling around, but you love to see that. At least I do. And again, I, I think defense needs to get great defensive plays needs to get a lot more love. It would probably help prevent people from overvaluing defensemen too and paying them nine and a half million when their replacement level uh, or near that. All right, I'll say fourth my, fourth guy at best. There we go. How about that? Um, there you go. <laughs> my my favorite part about the about the response to the shot blocking clip was somebody saying John Tortorella's take. Now, obviously, just not actually yeah. his take, but John Tortorella's take upon seeing this clip. <laughs> frame it and hang it in the loop. Yeah. <laughs> like perfect John Tortorella yeah. hockey. Oh, yeah. God damn. I'm just saying, like, they have a coach that most Red Wings fans aren't confident will be the guy. I'm starting the rumor right now. John Tortorella to Detroit after seeing that clip happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. I mean, you're not going to be able to keep him out. He's going to be knocking on your door being like, let me teach this kids. <laughs> Stevie, <Yeah. laughs> let me in. He's like, it's going to be great here. There's also no oh, Brooksy. God. Okay. God damn it. Uh, the New York Rangers uh, smashed the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, 4 to nothing on Friday. Uh, Lafreniere, third goal of the year. I talked about Chris Kreider. He scored his fifth and sixth of the year in that game. This one highlighted by just, I mean, how can you not love Elvis Merzlikens? He's so good. Uh, again, calling the team back with like 15 seconds to go in the game to make sure that Chesterkin gets yeah. the shutout. Elvis Merzlikens, man. I mean... You talk about players with Great like guy. this unbelievable amount of yeah. of good faith and someone who I mean you know you, you know he has obviously a lot of emotions heading into this season. Yeah. But just the fact that even as one of the most competitive people on the planet as a professional athlete, he can just say like, Hey, this is bigger than oh well we didn't get shut out and to allow a moment like that to happen, just God damn it, what a guy. Yeah, and I saw. I, I hate it, but I saw a lot of negative comments on that too. It's like, nah, you don't give up ever. Just, I'm like, dude, like, some things are again, like you said, some things are more important than just spoiling a shutout and this mentality that you have to play till the final buzzer all the time. In most situations, yes, but if you're down 4-0, what's the point to say that you did it to to make some boomers on the internet happy? Like, dude, like, there's some people out there who are gonna find a negative about everything, and in this case. I like to see that. I like out. Give me sportsmanship over this weird compete and hate each other from buzzer to buzzer constantly. You know, yeah. It sets a better uh, example. God, yeah. Now I will say, cap friendly. Um, they were able to put up the contract comparables to Adam Fox just to go back to that yeah. really quickly. Again, Fox at nine and a half. Um, the the closest comparable is the deal that Charlie McAvoy got, where of course McAvoy ended up signing for eight instead of seven, and then of course you have like the Makara deal and the Zach Wierenski deals uh, that are the closest in terms of the AAV. I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Fox, McAvoy, Makara, Wierenski. The debate over those four and how they're ranked from one to four 
and obviously they're different styles of players, but it's interesting now too that we're really starting to see the. Uh, I mean, obviously like the the Dowdy and Carlson deals were there, but it's interesting to see how the uh, the money is starting to flip a little bit towards yeah. the defensive side of things. Yeah, definitely interesting. Hard to rank uh, those the wash because they all do different <sighs> stuff. Like Makar, I would say, you know, in, in the case of Fox Makar, I'd say Fox maybe a little bit better than Makar. I still think Makar's got more to show, but then again, McAvoy is such a different player and drives the play still, but maybe doesn't put up the same amount of points, but is vastly better than both of them on the defensive end of things. So, right, like I think value? people view, yeah. I think people view McAvoy and Wierenski as the more defensive of the group, right or wrong. I kind of struggle so. to see why Wierenski should be in the same category as those three i don't i don't see him as as those i th- I see him as at least a tier below those three skill wise and what he brings to the table i don't know maybe i don't watch enough Gorensky, but yeah i mean he's one of those guys him. too where hey at least they um and then again i'm looking at some numbers here for Wierenski, and he's definitely more of an offensive defenseman as well although his defense is getting a a little bit better but yeah no it's it's just it's just such a good contract yeah it is. God damn it. It's so good. Um, the Washington Capitals kicked the crap out of the Coyotes 2 to nothing. I mean, 2 to nothing. maybe not the most you know egregious scoreline in the world. Ovi got his ninth goal of the year. We'll talk a little bit more about him soon. Uh, the Hurricanes on Friday moved to 7-0. and They beat the Blackhawks 6-3. to uh, Debrinkit got his fourth goal for the Hawks, but it was really more about the Hurricanes. Ajo's fifth. Svechnikov has seven goals as of Friday. Just ridiculous. I don't think people are talking about him enough. Uh, and I believe that was the where the clip or, uh, originated from with Auntie Ranta talking about getting his first win uh, since his father's passing as well. So that was uh, a lot of things are looking good in Carolina. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Yeah. And then the final game on Friday, you had the Vegas Golden Knights beating the Anaheim Ducks 5-4 to in a shootout. Uh, the Ducks have played nine games, at least as of Friday, and have lost three in overtime or a shootout to, again, prove that they're a tough team to beat. I'd say primarily due to someone like Troy Terry getting his fourth goal of the year. Although for the Golden Knights, Chandler Stevenson also has four. Number one yeah. center, Chandler Stevenson, baby. God, I, that throws me. He's having. He's going to have a William Carlson season, and it's going to well, piss me the fuck off. We're going to talk about because William I Carlson. So because I talked shit on Chandler Stevenson when we were doing our previews. I'm like, you got Chandler Stevenson as your 1C, and Chandler Stevenson is doing good. But congrats to the Golden well, Knights. They always seem to be able to elevate someone well don't worry we both have uh, our moments from those preview shows yeah. about uh <laughs> controversial now Whatever. controversial takes if it keeps them in. from getting eichel fine chandler stevenson's your one scene you don't need eichel please so i wasn't going to bring up eichel on the show the rumors are still <laughs> persisting that he's going to end up being in vegas it has not happened yet no. which just again it's not even worth discussing i, I bet it's you it's going to be a death. team that like no one even fucking thought of <laughs> I hope so, at least, because everyone's talking about Anaheim and Vegas. I'm like, just please, no. And Calgary Keep them as out well. Of- like that. Oh, like, yeah. Flames that fans are trying to will, will that not into existence. Like Sutter. I don't think him and Sutter will get along. I. Even though Sutter I, seems to be letting them kind of fly up the ice every now and then and produce some offense. So, hey, maybe he's, uh, he's at the age where he's well, just not caring as much. He still hates the media, though. So, same old Sutter. There you go. Uh, with the Golden Knights as well, by the way. Current injured list. Yeah. yeah. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, mm-hmm. Alex Tuck, now William Carlson with a broken foot, Nolan Patrick, Matthias Yan, Mark, Zach Whitecloud. 
Yeah, it's a lot, and they're still finding That ways. is a lot. <laughs> Yet yeah. they're still at 500, at least they were as of Friday. I don't remember if they had another goal on yeah. Saturday or Sunday. So that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. That's the best way to uh, to put it. We'll move to Saturday. Some other interesting talking points there as well. Uh, Nashville beat the New York Islanders in a shootout. Uh, Oliver Wallstrom scored his fourth of the year on a freaking wicked one tee. Uh, Wallstrom has an incredible shot, man, and I, I did kind of see a tweet that sums it up best. Like, if the rest of his game can catch up to his shot, he's going to be a very, very good player for the Islanders yep. moving forward. Uh, and we mentioned him earlier, but again, Tanner Cheneau uh, also had two goals in that game for Nashville. So someone else who doesn't have the name value but is technically a rookie and is doing quite well. Uh, the LA Kings won their second game of the year, beating the Habs 5-2. to two. Uh, I just wanted to mention it because it makes me laugh. And uh, Artur Kaliev scored his uh, first career goal. So uh, as the Habs lose their Calder uh, favorite, who knows? Maybe the Kings get someone into the Calder mix. <laughs> Damn, them, them missing Dowdy is going to hurt. I really kind of thought they might be starting to make a push with some of the young guys. But, yeah, no, them missing Dowdy is going to hurt. Well, I'm wondering what, like, Byfield isn't play. I have not caught a Kings game at all. He's not. Is Byfield even on the roster? I don't think he is. I believe he's hurt. Oh, okay, I think he okay. got hurt in the preseason and ah, is still out and has yet to uh, to play a game, which yeah, has that been sucks. fairly uh, disappointing. Yeah, he is um, currently on the season opening IR. He and Akil Thomas. Yeah, he's going to be uh, really good. I hope At least so. I hope so, unless these injuries start to slow. That would be heartbreaking as hell if the injuries slow him down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, God, the comparisons are kind of there to Nolan Patrick in terms of size and stature and having injury trouble before he even really gets going. Yeah, and you just mentioned Nolan Patrick injured again in Vegas. I knew, I kind of figured it was going to happen for Vegas. I'm like, yeah, you're taking on this guy. You need help at the center role, but you got to watch the the injuries. And yeah, there it is. It sucks to see someone so snake bitten. Yeah. Um, the San Jose Sharks beat the Winnipeg Jets 2-1 to one in overtime on Saturday. Uh, shout out to Kyle Connor, who has seven goals uh, on the year. But Timo Meyer scored his fifth sin. Any takes uh, on that particular game that you can recall? I didn't watch it live. I went. I watched the highlights after. But then I went back, and I, I did have a – and I, I'm able to sometimes record games completely uh, – legitimately um so i watched it i I watched it uh i watched it back and this was all all i want to say about this it was absolutely a gutsy win for the sharks who uh, i'll say this they had four count them four defensemen who didn't uh who were not regularly playing for the sharks um hataka played a bit in preseason he's been their seventh defenseman i really like him but i mean yeah they had carlson uh, Shimmick, Vlasic, and Middleton were all in COVID protocol. They had several centers. I, I think the the count was two two players made their NHL debuts. There were several others with like twenty or less games experience, and like eight, seven guys or something like that who made their NHL um, who made their NHL debuts in this season, um, like their first appearances in the NHL. And the fact that they still pulled out a win and played really good defensively against the Winnipeg Jets team that were kind of on a bit of a hotter streak towards the end. You know, I think they won like what four straight or something like that before coming into them. It's that's a win. That's going to be kind of sort of remembered. And at least for Sharks fan, because how long have we been like, Oh, our depth sucks. Our depth absolutely sucks. We got no farm system. 
And all of a sudden, you have this game where you have to use that depth. You have to use that farm system. And they're able to clutch out a defensive-style win against a, a very, very good Winnipeg Jets roster. I equated the San Jose Sharks' bottom six to the New England Patriots and the Pats' ability to just be like, who the fuck's this guy? It doesn't matter. You're at running back this week. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's working. It's the first, I mean, they've had to do that for the past three years, but here's the thing. It's actually working now, which is great because they've been able to sort of restock some of the uh, the prospects. And, you know, with the turnover, when Doug Jr. has become the head of scouting and, like, the new guy who's the primary drafting guy, we've – we're really starting to get some good prospects in all, all different rounds, too. It's it's really, really nice to see. And, yeah, good to see Timo Meyer uh, hitting the scoring sheet once again and earning them that $6 million because I was a bit worried after last year. Fair enough. He's, he's still looking pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. uh, the Boston Bruins on Saturday handed the Florida Panthers their first loss of the season, 3-2 to two in a shootout. Uh, shout out to Anthony Duclair on the Cats, who has six goals already, which is nuts. Uh, Barkoff scored his fifth as well. Uh, it was Charlie Coyle scoring his third, and Charlie McAvoy his first in the third period to tie it. And then Coyle scored the only shootout goal to win it. I was very happy with Linus Allmark because, as most Bruins fans know, uh, track record in shootouts over the past uh, almost, what, 15 years just about now of shootouts existing hasn't always been great but it was i mean you you mentioned a gutsy win for the sharks a very gutsy win for the bruins and i mean they've had to you know they've had to work through some things uh, you know the top line hasn't exactly been firing on all cylinders to begin the season but it's one of those things where you know as a bruins fan it, it's interesting to see what fan bases have the confidence in their team like oh the bruins are four and three i'm not too worried the leafs are four four and one and the city's burning like it's just really interesting to see who kind of has the the confidence or maybe like the track records there to have the comfort to not have to hit the panic button so early into the season. And I mean, I'm still confident that the Bruins will will definitely be a you know a playoff team. But my God, if they have to play the Panthers in the playoffs, that would be yeah one of the more stressful series. Man, I think missing Krejci, uh, dude. Like he is so now you're God, seeing just God. how severely underrated that guy has been in the league and. Maybe even in Bruins fandom at times. He's so good and he's never really had a huge amount of help either. He's just. Oh, anyway, sorry to sort of bring up that no, story with you, but you're I, not love wrong. I love I mean, the guy. He's so good. That was my concern at the start of the year is just, man, if Coyle turns it around, but turns it around as the third center, as the 3C, and you have Bergeron, Krejci, and a, a playing well Charlie Coyle, that's very. Very tough to beat, and, uh, you know, as of the early stages of the season, Coyle's been good, but it does put that stress on somebody else to step up. And, you know, Cap Friendly right now has the third-line center as Eric Halla, who has uh, one point in seven games, making almost $2.4 He's got a point. I don't think Benino has one yet. (laughs) I'm a little sad about that. I was really excited about that signing. But... Yeah, I mean, again, for the Bruins, I, I'm confident. Like, Bergeron only has three points in seven games. Uh, Craig Smith was really good for the Bruins last year. He actually doesn't have a point in four games so far. So there have been some slow starters. But, yeah, I mean, they're definitely still living in a, a post-David Krejci world, yeah. which uh, is a world I am not so happy to be living in. Yeah. 
Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs beat the Detroit Red Wings 5-4. Shout out to Joe Valeno getting his first uh, goal of the season. I believe also now involved in the rookie race. NHL uh, 17 shout out, legend Joe Valeno. Shout out to Vladislav Nemesnikov. Uh, four great. goals on the year yeah. already? As someone who is just like, man, that guy. I remember NHL 16, Nemestikov, that was the guy. And now everyone's like, oh, okay. And then you find out, like, oh, he's actually not doing that bad for Detroit. It's it's decent. He has more goals than Michael Bunting. Bunting has three on the year. And uh, shout out to Mitch Marner, who finally scored his first of the year. It was the game winner worth every penny. Yeah, Mitch Mark. First game winner, first goal, two ones, 11. Illuminati confirmed. Leafs fans are going ham on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, good good for the Leafs <laughs> to get back to 500. Grats, you beat the Wings in overtime. Oh, <laughs> a, a Wings team without Tyler Bertuzzi as well, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I think that game was in Canada. Last year would have been like, yeah, whatever. But this year, he's actually... Hey, <laughs> It actually was in Canada because I remember we talked about the tweet at the start, the best tweet of the weekend, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was along the lines of like, man, Tyler Bertuzzi uh, looks just lost out there. No shots of any kind. It just, yeah. <laughs> God, man, as down as I was on hockey this weekend, there was there was some greatness on yeah. Twitter that, that made me feel a little bit better. I saw some in, in uh, before the season started that involved Zach Ronaldo and Tyler Bertuzzi. Someone said, well, Tyler Bertuzzi and Zach Ronaldo um, don't want to get the vaccine. This is the first time either one of them has passed on getting a cheap shot. <laughs> Yeah, just, slow claps. Yeah, so, the slow, slow claps. I was like, "That's fucking brilliant!" I like that. I, you gotta love the cleverness oh, sometimes. This next game, I wanted to mention because it goes along the lines of what you were saying about EA NHL earlier. Uh, the Devils beat the Penguins four to two. Jesper Bratt got his first goal. Danton Heinen has four goals for the Penguins because, of course, it was Sidney Crosby's first game of the year, and the Penguins lost. The Pittsburgh Penguins are every user team in NHL franchise mode who get worse with the better players they have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they absolutely shit on the Leafs uh, a week or so ago. You get Crosby back, you lose to the Devils. Not as if the Devils are a garbage team, but they are every team a player's ever had in NHL franchise mode. Yeah, it's, I mean, ever, it's I, hilarious. For those of you not watching on YouTube, I'm nodding furiously because I say it every time we <laughs> I make a trade at the deadline. All right, guys, we just improved the team. We're gonna we're gonna sim worse. Get ready. And nine times I've said, sometimes you'll sell at the deadline, sell off all your players. All of a sudden, your team starts pushing for the play. It's yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happened to me last night. It's it's the best. Yeah. Uh, the St. Louis Blues beat the Chicago Blackhawks one to nothing. Jordan Bennington with the shutout. Tory Krug's first of the year to win it. The Blues are six and one, still looking pretty damn good. We'll see. Uh, when, as you mentioned, we'll see when that kind of dies down a bit because they beat Chicago. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury has lost his first five games as a member of the Blackhawks. The last time Fleury had five consecutive regulation losses uh, was nine years ago in the 2011-12 season. Uh, actually, ten years ago, then technically, yeah. God, poor, poor Mark Andre Fleury. He doesn't deserve that. He really. It's just. It's sad. Unceremoniously dumped by Vegas, ends up in Chicago, decides to play, decides to probably move his family out there, even though they were in love with Vegas, and just the way that was handled still makes me angry. Um, 
but yeah, and then just to be on in this situation, off you know, on ice stuff aside, combined with the you know the off ice. Oh man, poor guy. Like he, for such an elite goalie, he's been treated like absolute dog shit, and it, it, I kind of don't get it. Like everywhere he's kind of gone, like the Penguins not protecting him again. Sort of a business decision still, but it's it's just kind of weird. Like just hung out to dry when they went on the cup runs. Like they just. Again, maybe you can't ar- argue with them going with Murray in some of those situations. It's just, it's still very weird the way he's sort of been. I don't know. Just completely disrespected. Yes. Yeah. I think that <laughs> disrespect, so many aspects. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And he's like oh such a nice God. guy. <laughs> he seems like such a good dude. It's like, why? The nicest guy that nobody wants around, or that every, or at least Vegas doesn't want around, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Colorado beat Minnesota four to one. Ryan Hartman has four goals. When the hell did that happen? Uh, Landeskog's third. Landeskog scored his third and fourth. Uh, Nazem Kadri his third. Shout out to Kadri after the. Uh, I think it was the Blues. Was it the Blues game on Thursday where Jordan Bennington yeah, swung, swung a stick a at Nazem Kadri's head and Kadri got in trouble for yelling at him? Yeah, because <laughs> that's so bizarre. I, God. So we didn't get to speak about that incident. Number one, Nazem Kadri getting, you know, punished in any way for shit-talking. It's hilarious. Uh, it's sad, but hilarious. Jordan Bennington, man, I don't care what anybody says about the idea of, oh, well, he was never going to hit him when he swung his stick at him. It's just the idea of faking like you're going to swing your stick at somebody's head yeah. to get in their heads. It's gamesmanship. Like, that's just bullshit. The guy just throws... Call me a... Yeah. Call me a salty Bruins fan because he beat the Bruins in 2019. It's just bush league garbage, and I can't stand it. It is. It's 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 not even compete level. It's temper tantrums. Like the guy throws. He's he's pro, like, you can't really say it as anything else. The guy throws temper tantrums. Like a couple years ago when he was walking off the ice, pretending like he pretended to punch Eric Carlson in the face, and then pretending like he's going to square up with Dubnik. But the second Dubnik took a step out of his crease, he you know skated right over to the, you know to the bench or in whatever area the sharks don't have room on the visiting bench actually so they have to like sit them in near the tunnel which is hilarious um but yeah it's just like what are you doing it's just this weird posturing and he's clearly you know losing his temper constantly but yes yeah, I, I think he got a 10 minute you know for that i think so yeah which i'm a little i mean cool but which again like that just means somebody else serves it. Though, yeah, exactly. Because he didn't get ejected from the game. So yeah. what's the punishment? And, and by the way, oh, I, did, no, I didn't get our those four- penalty minutes in fantasy either. I'm pissed about that. Let goalies get points in penalty minutes. The hell, Yahoo. <laughs> our fourth our fourth liner has to take a seat. Oh, no. <laughs> what a punishment. Uh, and two other games uh, that happened on Saturday. The Oilers beat the Canucks 2-1 to one to move to 6-1 and one on the season. Uh, Dreisaitl scored his fifth of the year. Uh, Warren Fogle finally got his second, which uh, a lot of pressure on him because Ethan Bear has been incredible uh, to start the season in Carolina. My highlight of this, though, you love to mention him on the show. That's Peter Forsberg. McDavid had a Forsberg-like reverse hit on Luke Shen. That was just gorgeous. He's so sick. Oh, McDavid is just so sick, man. Like, I'm I'm not going to stop with the Jordan comparables because I can't help it but he just continues to add these other elements to his game if he's something you know a perceived weakness or not even perceived weakness because he's like he's hailed as this you know held as this divine figure which I mean 
well-deserved, but he sees something in his game that he wants to improve. Oh, I want to improve my one-timers. Like, he's always kind of been a big body able to shove up people up, and now he's reverse-hitting people. Like, oh, my gosh. I We are witnessing greatness, and I, I, I try to make a point to watch the Oilers games just because mm-hmm. – I, I I know when I look back as I'm as I'm older, I you know I don't want to miss out on on the what this what this dude does on the ice because it's honestly the potential to be the literal greatest player who's ever lived. Still very early in his career, but with the point paces he's on, I mean, he could break at least get close to certain Gretzky records. Playing in an era where it's much higher skill level, where the goalies aren't smoking cigarettes. Uh, in in the locker room in intermission and chugging beers like, holy crap! That's why the debate will be there, right? Yeah. Is people will say like, okay, is it more impressive that McDavid is so dominant in his era compared to the standard of playing Gretzky's yeah. era? You know that that debate will It'll, it's already there. Yeah, you know it'll always be there. Uh, and Calgary moved to six one and one after beating Philadelphia four to nothing. Um. The core really contributed. Uh, Sean Monahan scored his first of the year. Kachuk his third. Backlund and Goodrow their second. But it, the story is really Jake Markstrom, and we're going to kick this can down the road because uh, we're going to talk about some of the top goalies to the opening month of October. But Markstrom has been out freaking standing to begin this season. It's yep. it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> We're kind of seeing uh, what they paid for, kind of finally again for the for the Flames, and that was one of our big question marks too. And we were doing the uh, Pacific Division sort of preview here: is can Markstrom sort of play to the level that he did in Vancouver that got him that contract, or else for the Flames they might be in trouble. But that game, especially, I mean, he looked good. Flames six one and one now. I mean, yeah, some things are happening for some teams that weren't happening before, and it's uh, really starting to come together. So good for him, and I guess good for Calgary. And then the games on Sunday, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes moved to 8-0 after beating the Coyotes 2-1, who are now 0-8-1. The price is going to be right for them, I'm sure. Deke, Deke is um, out there saying, don't make me tap the sign. <laughs> <laughs> we we mentioned Carl Vimelka's, uh in, incredible performance in that game. Uh, Martin Natchez and Brett Pesci each got their first of the year finally. So, yeah, Martin Natchez was off to a slow start offensively mm-hmm. in terms of goals for the Canes, and they're still 8-0. Uh, and we'll talk about Freddie Anderson as well. Uh, but the Canes, uh, 8-0 for the first time in franchise history as well. Just, oh, it's it's crazy how good they are. I mean, for yeah. as many critiques and criticisms as we had, it's, it's working. Yeah, and... One thing that's ironic to me is a team that's doing so good, like, and they're going to be another playoff team. They've been a playoff team. We kind of touched on this a little bit, how, like, with some of their marketing schemes, like, how they're looking for, they still don't, I don't, like, they still don't have a rival. Like, it's kind of nuts. Like, they're now such a competitive team. It's like, people should be, like, gunning for them, and it still doesn't feel like they have an actual hockey rival. The closest thing to a rivalry they have is, like, in from the front office between them and the Habs, I, I don't know. Like, is this the year where the Canes finally get an established rival? Like, okay, maybe they face the Caps again, maybe they face the Isles again, and then a rivalry sort of gets established. But it's, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a team that's this good and not think, okay, oh, yeah, here comes a rivalry matchup. I want to watch this. I don't know who the hell to tune, in, tune into if I want to watch the Canes. Like, what, what match? It's, it's kind of nuts. But I mean, they're doing phenomenally. Like it's it's kind of ridiculous. They're 
they're they're pretty stacked and very low key stacked too. Like I don't think people realize it. Yeah. The Anaheim Ducks beat the Montreal Canadiens four to two on Sunday. The Habs are now two and eight. Uh, shout out to Mike Hoffman though, who has four goals on the year. Sharks Jake legend. Evans scored his first. Um, yeah, Sharks legend for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to forget about that. It really <laughs> is. Um, shout uh, on the Ducks though. Henrique has four goals. Terry has five. Uh, highlight of this game, uh, talking about sneaky dirty. It was Cedric Paquette. Uh, hitting Trevor Zegras. Uh, Paquette has been suspended two games for boarding, and rightfully so. Oh, I, I mean, said, yeah, Paquette does kind of have that. Um, yeah, I had to add that in after I'd sent you what I thought was our finalized version of the sheet, and then LOL, breaking news yeah. throughout the show as well. Uh, but yeah, no, a suspension worthy hit for sure yeah. for Paquette because, I mean, yeah. It was good yeah, to see Zegers come back rough. at the start of the the next period, though. So that's good. No real yeah. lasting that we know of any damage uh, to him. Thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, again, for one of the uh, top rookies as well that we already kind of talked about. Uh, the L.A. Kings beat the Buffalo Sabres three to two. Sabres still have a five two and one record. Um, and again, like getting contributions from guys like Asplund has four on the year. Olafson has five. Um, and then you look at the the Kings. Like Yafalo has four. Anse Kopitar has seven goals yeah. on the year in eight games, yeah. or nine games now, I, I believe. Yeah, nine games. Seven goals in nine games for Kopitar. I will continue to gush about Anze Kopitar for the entirety of this season. Thank you very much. I mean, why the hell not, man? I, ha- I had him for my Selkie. Man might just make a run at the Maurice Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's hoping. Yeah. Who doesn't love Anze Kopitar? Uh, the Blue Jackets beat the Devils 4-3 in a shootout. Uh, Bjorkstrand has four on the air. Line A scored his third on a wicked one tee. I-, I love mentioning every game here because you find out, like, oh, Boone Jenner has five goals. <laughs> like, Boone Jenner has more goals than Patrick Line and Oliver Bjorkstrand so far this year. Don't know what's up with that. Uh, and then uh, for the Devils, like, Andreas Janssen has four goals which is more than Patrick Laine. Uh Dawson Mercer has as many goals as Patrick Laine. Uh, it's just, there's just so many weird things going on around the league, and it's so interesting to look at these, because obviously you can't pay attention to every single, you know, every single team in every single game, unless you're the hockey guy, in which case that's about the best somebody could possibly do, uh, is to try and replicate that. <laughs> Uh, and then the final game, uh, the Rangers beat the Kraken 3-1. to I mentioned him earlier, Chris Kreider, seven goals on the year already. Adam Fox scored his second, gets a new contract, and Barkley Goodrow does have three goals. Uh, Jordan Eberle scored the lone goal, though, for the Kraken on one of the best backhand goals I think I've ever seen. Yeah, that was, that was Crosby level. Like, that was insane, that backhand. He generated so much power from essentially the, nearly the face-off dot. Yeah. And was able to tuck it. It's just absolutely crazy. And again, it's why we have the Jordan Everly jersey hanging up on the uh, wall behind me. For those on the uh, for those on the YouTube side of things. So, Sin, to close this show, I wanted to talk about some of the you know leading scores that we've seen so far, right? In terms of like, hey, who might be surprising, who might not be? Uh, McDavid's obviously leading forwards in terms of points mm-hmm. with sixteen. OVS fifteen. He had a great start. Yeah, great, great start. Uh, Kyle Connor as well with 14 points. And then you got Kopitar, Dreisaitl at 13 each, which again, like you look at these guys like McDavid doing well, not surprising. Ovi doing well, not surprising. But guys like Kyle Connor, who again are unsung. 
Guys like Anze Kopitar, who are turning the clocks back a little bit. Uh, Stamkos has 12 points. Evgeny Kuznetsov has 12 points. And we talked about him before, but a guy where it's like, he's going to get traded, he's going to get traded. It's, it's dead in Washington. He's been very quiet, but very good, which is the best yep. thing for his career right now and for the Caps. Wasn't sure if you had anything to add there, but hey, fair enough. No, I mean, uh, it's, and then, yeah, it's, what else can you say? I mean, they were pretty much, yeah. <laughs> With all the trade rumors and stuff, it's, it's good to see him sort of getting back into that category and, uh, you know, putting up those points. Like you said, sort of silently going about it. Yeah. Admittedly, I had to take a peek at uh, at Twitter as well because I'm like, is there going to be more breaking news? Yeah, <laughs> you right. never know. Um, and then there's a, a group of guys that ran out the top 10. Uh, Andre Svechnikov, Timo Meyer, Huberto, and Goodrow all on 11 points, which again... Uh, Carolina, very good. San Jose, not too bad. Florida, very good. Calgary, very good to start the year. So it's not surprising to see those guys up there. And it brings us to the goal scorers where it's Alex Ovechkin's world, and we live in it. He has nine, and then there's a group of a bunch of guys with seven. Kopitar, Kreider, Elias Lindholm, which again shows how good Calgary (laughs) is. Andrew Mangiapane, who is... uh, in that Kyle Connor ranking of like, give this guy more respect. Kyle Connor's there. Connor McDavid and Andre Savechnikov. It's a wonderful mix of we expected you to be here. Wow, you're still this good. And holy hell, you're this good. Yeah. It's like a great mix of that so far, even through, you know, 10 games or so uh, for some teams. Which brings me to the defenders in terms of points. Number one on the list. I know you have the list in front of you, but. Kevin Shattenkirk wins our Jeff Petrie Award for early Norris favorite by leading the way for points. He's this year's Tyson Berry, apparently. Shattenkirk has 10 points so far this season. And uh, Below him with nine, Roman Yossi, not surprising. Aaron Eckblad, not surprising. Adam Fox, not surprising. Tony D'Angelo also has nine, which again, nobody ever denied that Tony D'Angelo was a very good player on ice. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he continues to uh, not be a shut piece his of mouth shit. and play hockey. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, again, some people might be like, "Well, why does he have to shut his mouth?" <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's not about him taking stands on certain issues. It's about how he treats others, how he treats teammates openly, getting in the fights with them. And it's it's a, he's he was an he was an Evander Kane in New York. I will put it that way. And hopefully he can keep up the string of good behavior and actually change like Evander Kane was not able to do no matter where he went. Uh, eight points, Hedman, not surprising. Pionk in Winnipeg, not surprising. Moritz Sider with those eight points again. Uh, now, he was the one again, that everyone was confused about when they took him in the first round, right? Like as early as yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, it was the complete and utter Eisen shock. And he's like, 20, if I'm not mistaken. He might still be 19 years old. He's 20. Insane. He, April 6, 2001 birthday. And I also want to just point out, three years ago, Kevin Shattenkirk went to Tampa Bay on a league minimum deal. Or something very, very low. Didn't mm. he? And I think it was league min, yes. After, uh, I think it was got bought out, bought out the by York. the Rangers. And then, yeah, he went to Tampa. Good for him, man. On a, on a dirt cheap deal and won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and good for him, man. He's really, you know, kind of making that comeback. That's that's cool to see. Everyone likes kind of an underdog, like a revival story, and Shattenkirk's having that at the beginning of this year. 
So that's awesome. Dude, that that cop run, he had 13 points in 25 games. He wasn't like he wasn't a pushover. Like he Not had 34 all. points in 70 games in the regular season. Like he's still a I mean, yeah. I don't know what his defensive metrics look like, but the guy can still put up points yeah. and he's only I think 32. Yeah, 32. Yeah. It's a fair play. Uh, and then there's a bunch of guys with like seven points. Haskin and Dowdy, Fowler, Gustav Forsling in Florida, and Seth Jones. But Seth Jones' uh, seven points is also offset by a minus 10. <laughs> Which, again, plus minus is not the end-all be-all stat. But if you have a minus 10 yeah. by November 1st, there is a problem. Holy hell. Yeah, um, there is a problem. Do you, I'm looking up, I'm trying to look it up quickly. Do you? I want to. If if any of those points are on the power play, because he um, he is a very good play driver on the power play. That's like his actual biggest strength when it comes to the analytics. I'm wondering. I'm actually not sure. I mean, I'm I'll allow you to look, look that up. up. Yeah. You, yeah, you get back to us there because I wanted to also talk about uh, goaltenders, which um, unfortunately it does kind of lead towards hey, who's the top goalie in terms of save percentage right now? Granted, it's only through three starts, four appearances, but that would be San Jose Sharks okay, legend. Yeah. So five of his points are on the power play. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. So James Reimer has a 964 save percentage for yes, the Sharks so far. <laughs> you know what's awesome? Having goaltending. Oh, I love oh having God. goaltending. Yeah, he's he's been great in, in the role that he's he's gotten less starts than Hill, and but yeah, every time he's been called upon, he is great i believe he has a no no that was aiden, aiden hill getting the shutout but uh yeah uh james yes. reimer has just been phenomenal uh, he was in that game where we beat the winnipeg jets and you know he couldn't stop praising all, all the guys that came in who by the way all those guys that we mentioned earlier who came in uh like the seven or eight however many that had to be called in they all played the night before for the barracuda so. Yeah, I think I think we undersold that when we were talking Kinda. about the Sharks, just how crazy that is that they had to call up essentially half of an AHL team and still beat the Habs. Yeah, and I really like the uh, the Jets. Excuse yeah. me. Um, then when they brought up Merkley, they also called up his uh, defensive partner from the AHL, which is Megna, and they have apparently been very good. And that's been like kind of Merkley's rock back there, which I feel like every OFD needs that partner who's gonna kind of you know, lock things down, help keep them honest, give them that confidence and stuff like that. And honestly, Merkley had a pretty good game. So, you know, got on, almost caught a couple times, but for what he is and not too bad. I was very excited. But yeah, James Reimer, so sick. We talked about Jake Markstrom in Calgary. He has a 4-1-1 record with a 9.57 save percentage and three shutouts. He has never had more than three shutouts in a single season. He has three shutouts in six stars. Half of his games, if she's shut the opponent out. That's a silly stat. That's obviously not sustainable, but what a start no. it's been for Calgary. It's... And Freddie Anderson as well, by the way. Just, uh, I wish Endo was here. God damn it. This was this is why I had this last on the list, because I'm like, oh, Endo will be here, and then he's not, so he avoids me twisting the knife. Freddie Anderson has a 7-0 record which is now the record for longest undefeated streak after debuting with a new team. <laughs> he has a 9.56 save percentage and is one of the few goaltenders to have a shutout on the year so far as well. Holy hell. Mm-hmm. I, what can you even say to Freddie Anderson having that good of a start? Uh, Igor Shesterkin, 5-1-1 one one with a 9.47. 
he has a shutout as well. So again, we talked about it. He got that new deal with the Rangers somewhat recently. He's been phenomenal. Wow. Sergei Bobrovsky has a 6-0 record with a 944 save percentage. It came out of nowhere. I mean, for me, I haven't really been paying attention to Ford. I know they're doing good. I was assuming Bobrovsky was either getting carried or Spencer Knight was getting a lot of the starts, but I'm good to see Bobrovsky at least sort of starting to earn that contract that he has. Uh, there, I, what a year, I don't, man! Like, like this is the year of the a, There's a meme. There's a meme to be made about like the the bones no bones days, and uh, to make it, it's yeah. it, it's a Bob year, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we can make that work into a title, but it, it's looking good for Sergey Bobrovsky. Um, he's only played two games. Uh, one of them was a win at the hands of the Bruins, but Martin Jones is two and zero with a nine forty one save percentage, so uh, we can both shed tears. Um, I will say Craig Anderson, I don't care as much. Um, I'm happy for him. I wanted this, but I will also add on to that. Flyers fans, just wait. Do not get excited. Just wait, okay? <laughs> Please temper your expectations. He Martin Jones has has a thing where he'll put up this incredible stretch of games, a couple weeks, maybe a month, and then goes back. I hope that's not the case this time. I really do. I wish him the best. His time in San Jose was over. We're in, we're in a great goaltending situation now. I'm not going to feel as bad because I'm not the Leafs and we're not struggling, even though we theoretically should be. But yeah, good for, good for Jonesy. I'm, I'm happy to see it. Craig Anderson and Elvis Merzlikens have identical 4-1 and one records with 939 save percentages. Isn't and Craig also Anderson for the like Sabres, 40, man? How is he doing he's it? He's 42. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's something crazy like that. i got to look that up right now. He's 40, I'm pretty sure. Oh, holy crap. Okay, he is 40. He's not 42, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> like the Buffalo Sabres are just like, all right, put him on the roster, whatever. He wants to still play. Throw him in there. And then... But honestly, Craig Anderson's had has kind of made a career out of this of putting up insanely good numbers out of nowhere. Like I remember, I went to a game literally like ten, maybe like probably fifteen years ago, a Sharks game, and he had like a thirty-five save performance as the Sharks won like two to one or something like. Who the hell is this Craig Anderson guy? He was yeah, and now back uh, flash forward to now, and he's crushing it over there in Buffalo, where everyone's like, "Oh, this team's got no chance." But so was Dustin Tokarski, who has a 936. Anderson has a 939. Tokarski has a 936. <laughs> it's just, has he played the Rangers it's yet? So er- <laughs> it's so early, man. But it's just it's incredible to see some of these numbers. Like Matt Murray has a 936. And then uh, shout out to Ilya Sorokin, who has a 931 with those two shutouts that he got back-to-back last week. And then the last number that I'll leave you here with, everybody, uh, Miko Koskinen has a 934 safe percentage so far this year. So all is right in Edmonton. Believe in Ken Holland. Would've, It'll be okay. It would have been nice when I picked him up as a throwaway last year in fantasy, put up those kind of numbers. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, God. So there is so much going on surrounding the NHL. On the ice, off the ice, and we will continue to follow it, but that will do it uh, for us here this time out. We thank you all very, very much uh, for listening. Again, a big shout-out to our sponsors while at Manscaped. Again, code Toogie, 20% off, and free worldwide shipping can be 
yours. We will be back this Thursday. Hopefully, Endo will be able to rejoin us at that point in time. Sin, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter, as I believe we put it in the graphics below. Uh, SinFTWProd on YouTube and on Twitch as a, a part-time streamer. I'll emphasis on part-time. Don't expect me to find me there every Part-time. day. <laughs> but you can usually find me uploading on YouTube every day. SinFTW Productions. Sin for the win. So, uh, yeah, appreciate it. Of course, you can find Endo pretty much everywhere at Endo Mills, E-N-D-O Mills. And I am basically everywhere at Tugi24. It is not difficult to find me. Check out the roster editing process on twitch.tv slash Tugi24. I still got a month's worth of work to go. I can't wait to download because, it. <laughs> because Seth Jones is a good defenseman in that game, and that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> We'll see you later on this week, everybody. Again, thank you very much for listening. And, uh, God, let's let's see how long we can go. Can we go three days without the NHL embarrassing itself again? Probably not, but hey, time will tell.